everything you do as practice. Someone who was reading the news in the paper every morning and the paper was full of stuff that were making them angry and making them upset. And someone said to them, every morning you practice being angry and upset. So how good are you at being angry and upset? And I think that's uh, anything that's part of a routine that we're doing daily or multiple times a day. What are we practicing when we do that? Like if I'm on Twitter, am I practicing being outraged? Does that make me very, very good at being outraged? Probably yes. <laughs> so for me, that's, that's, that's a big thing. What are you practicing? What are you getting good at without realizing? Welcome to the Digital Habit Lab from Mind Over Tech, a place where we explore our relationship with technology. I'm your host, Menka Sangvi. In each episode, I'll be joined by guests from different walks of life as we observe how we use tech, reflect on how it sometimes uses us, and experiment with ways to make sure it is actually helping us to do what we value most in life. Each season of our podcast focuses on a theme, and this one is about intention. We're asking questions like, what is intention? What does it feel like to be intentional? And why is it so important to the way we use technology? Today we have a second episode in which I speak to Scott Riley, author of Mindful Design, how and why to make design decisions for the good of those using your product. In the last episode, Scott talked to us about his personal challenges with mental health and how, as a designer, he's realized how much impact the smallest of design decisions can have on someone else's cognitive load and the responsibility that comes with that. In today's conversation, I asked him to share his advice about what users can do. What if he were to rewrite his book aimed at individual users instead of designers? And I'm so glad I asked him that because he offers a wealth of insights about what motivates companies and what motivates us and how being aware of both of these dynamics can make a huge difference. So let's get started and dive right into the deep end. But first a warning, Scott speaks with a passion and honesty that sometimes makes the language not entirely appropriate for young ears. So when we spoke last time, we were focusing mostly on the subject of design ethics. And your book is essentially a how-to guide, isn't it, for designers that want to create things with more care for people's vulnerabilities and for people's limitations. Yeah. Let's turn now to what individuals using technology can do to help themselves. Because, of course, as individuals, we can't shift all the dark patterns in play. I mean, even collectively, it is really challenging to get companies to change given the business models they rely on. Yeah, that's one of the problems, right? Is that technology companies are rewarded for creating exploitative products. I think it's hugely problematic to look at something like social media addiction and say that it's just something that happens to people. We do have different extents for different people of control over that kind of stuff. And we, we do have agency over how much to a degree we let those things impact our life. But, you know, if you look at the, the, the demographics of, for example, people who are addicted to gambling, you are almost always looking at underprivileged people, right? You know, there's correlation causation, like the impact of, of winning, like 50 quid on a horse bet to someone who needs to like 50 quid is the difference between 
feeding themselves or not for that week is different than someone who's you know financially stable and doing fine so there are environmental things there are societal things that impact that you know i've never really thought deeply about that correlation i, I guess the product a product would be successful if it targets the right people that have a vulnerability that means that they're more likely to become addicted to your product yeah if your if your product is successful because of the the pool of people it can take advantage of right like that's fucked like why are we rewarding that and essentially that's there's a lot of a lot of practices like that found in social media apps right i don't want to go full social dilemma that this discourse is everywhere right now and i don't think my voice would be a pretty unique one around that kind of stuff but the paradigm that social media kind of like has created right now and the like the polarizing aspect where it feeds off stuff that's designed to get people angry to to have people outraged to to polarize in as many ways as possible um there's no coincidence in my opinion that the people who tend to fall victim to misinformation campaigns and the people who tend to be led by and and what's the word I'm looking for kind of mobilized by like propaganda are also people who tend to to be vulnerable in some way you know generally and be victim to kind of like multiple societal systems that are affecting them yeah sometimes i find it tough to think about it that way because tech companies are basically good people with good intentions and for the most part i imagine victimization of vulnerable people is not their objective it, the, the problem is the success metrics right like that's the, the the fundamental problem is this is what if you're judging your company for example twitter you're judging your performance by vanity metrics and you're looking at engagement and that's all you see as a percentage or a number going up or a graph going up and to the right, it's very easy to say we're doing a good job. And then like you actually look at what you've created and it's either a bunch of fucking Nazis or a bunch of bunch of people shouting at a bunch of fucking Nazis. And um, but the, the graphs look good. It's creating engagement, right? It's people are talking, but you know, you're creating this like polarizing, really dangerous product and seeing it as successful by like how much it takes advantage of people so let's take this as an example success metrics because that's quite core to our theme about intention in a way the company has an intention for us and we have our own intentions which may be different but when i download a new app say i'm not usually thinking about what is the business model here and what are the success metrics that this company will be using in its relationship with me. I don't even know if there's a way of looking that up. So you know, where do I start? Like, how do I become more aware? I think there's, there's two sides of, well, there's more, many more than two sides, but two sides I would focus on if we're talking about this from a, like, I am about to use this product and I am quite inquisitive about 
um, its success metrics. There's the actual like, what does this what does this app want me to do? Um, mm. Usually, uh, it's quite obvious what an app wants you to do, right? Things like social apps, and I know we've spoke about this a lot <laughs> because they're very easy to pick on because they're huge and problematic. So let's stick with it. It's very obvious what social media apps want you to do, right? They want you to engage with content. They want you to see as many pieces of content as possible so that they can put adverts in the middle of them, right? And the more you engage with content, the more bound to the product you feel, the more likely you are to put content of your own up and you create this cycle of kind of media constantly being pushed around, people constantly seeing it, people spending more time on it, thusly people seeing more adverts, right? Like pick any free social media and that's generally what's happening. Yeah, it's a good summary. So you, you're the product, that's the old cliche. If you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And your data is being usually being sold, or at least your your attention is being sold, so that you will look at adverts. Um, so if it's free, how many adverts are you seeing? Um, it's a, like, is it aggressive with that? Is it not? Like, what do they want you to do? Generally, that will give you a good idea of the success metrics of, mm. of the product. I'm not saying that you will be able to like instantly go and work there as a CRO or some shit like that. But you could probably have a good guess as to what they are going to judge you on. A lot of the times with, with products you're looking at, people will look at activation rate. That's a big one. So you've just signed up. How long does it take you to actually start contributing content to that platform, to that product? Okay. Other types of stuff would be conversion rate. So when you see a market insight, how likely are you to sign up? Um, we talk about things like we might measure engagement in some way, like how long do you spend looking at a specific, um, type of post, for example, or how likely are you to like positive content versus negative content, all that kind of stuff guaranteed some product manager in some team inside one of those companies is tracking that. Um, so generally look at what the product tries to get you to do. A lot of the times they'll be the most linear parts of the product and they'll reduce choice as much as possible. So you have no choice, but to, I don't know, like upload an avatar or upload your first picture before you start using Instagram or something like that. But I think the other side as well to inspect is like a little bit murkier and it's to look at or try and decipher like the revenue model, um, which I think, and not just the short term, revenue model, but the long-term revenue model as well, are you signing up to a product right now that is free because they are going to just bombard you with more and more and more and more adverts become, you know, Instagram's a perfect example of this. Um, it's become more algorithm focused. It wants you looking at reels or wherever that TikTok ripoff they've got on there is it wants you looking at different posts once you see an advert it wants to harvest your more and more of your data so it wants you fundamentally to keep interacting and stay glued to the app right like that's for me products where i feel like okay it's free for now and there are no adverts for now but over time the revenue model will bring adverts in or, or they will be selling my data or something like that that can be hard to predict 
a lot of the times as well, it's free because it's new and they're going to start charging for it, which to me feels healthier. I would much rather someone say, yo, this is free for three months while we figure our shit out. And then we're going to charge between, I don't know, like two to 10 bucks a month for this product. Like, cool. That gives me a slightly better understanding of your revenue model, because now I know that you want me to start paying for this at some point. Strangely enough, like obviously not everyone can afford that, but that makes me more comfortable because maybe I'm not going to um, become the product when I'm using it. But that, that to me is another side of things as well. Hmm. Like what's the long-term revenue model? Like, you know, you're not going to have that down to a T as soon as you download a product. But I do think it's something to try and, you know, if, if you have the time to investigate, like look at similar products, look at competitors in the space, not an exact science what like whatsoever, but look at the revenue model and see if that's something you're comfortable working within. Hmm. This is great. I mean, it does require us to have the time and space to really think, like, where is this app coming from? What do they want me to do? How are they going to make money in the long term? But it's practical and it's a shift in perspective that I can see becoming more instinctive over time. Yeah, yeah. What else do you think, Scott, that people can do to become more aware and more aligned with their deeper intentions? What advice would you give to someone that's really interested in this? I'd say look and research into motivation theory. It's something that we get, especially in tech, a lot of the discourse is around so-called motivation theory. And a lot of it will be about dopamine, which is uh, like, we do not have the time right now on this podcast to talk about all the, the problems that come with that. A lot of what tech is trying to do right now comes from classical and operant condition. And you can learn about that to protect yourself a little bit and to understand how it works. Um, I think for some reason, uh, and I have been a participant in this and I regret it, but like the idea that dopamine is like this magic, like happiness, like pleasure chemical and stuff like that is just completely false it's released during reward seeking behavior so research not just that side of things because that's what people are trying to use in technology now to like create compulsive or persuasive or habit forming products and interactions um but there's an alternative theory uh, i speak about this in the book but it's called self-determination theory uh, and it comes more from like the, the the humanist side of of motivation theory. It's things like what intrinsically kind of like motivates us, like what things actually get us kind of actually feeling good about the things that we're doing rather than just like relying on like some <laughs> well-timed chemical release to force us to fucking do something, right? So it talks about things like having uh, competence, having autonomy, having belonging. And to me, it's just, it's, it's been something that I've applied a lot to the work that I do. It's about, for me as a designer, it translates to 
giving people as much control as possible to set up an environment, to create an environment where there are rules and there are constraints, but there aren't like, there's no need for like compulsive design. Yeah, that's really interesting because in a way we now expect our technology, our websites, apps, hardware too, to guide and nudge us and persuade us, compel us to do things. Yeah, yeah. Right. I don't need to compel someone to do this, do this, do this, do that. Now my product is successful. Great. It's about more being more exploratory, being more open with an understanding of, of self-determination it, it, in terms of kind of applying that as as a human as a user as not not as a designer it's been like really really huge for me because it's like rather than just thinking of yourself as like this fucking dopamine like system like oh i need to be motivated to do something and then i'll do it and then i'll get a reward and then that's my life for the you know foreseeable future because i am a fucking pigeon apparently uh to, to see kind of life as, yes, challenges to overcome, but like opportunity within challenges as well. Like kind of one thing for me that I latched onto with, with self-determination theory was like the idea of competence being intrinsically motivating, right? So just feeling like you are good at something or feeling like you're getting better at something is... And I don't think this is any secret. Like if you start from scratch learning something, like I still remember like the first time I ever played a song on guitar without fucking it up, right? Because it felt great. It felt like really intrinsically rewarding. I still remember what it felt like to write some lines of code in a game engine and have a character like jump in the air. It felt fucking great because like these are those little moments along a path towards competence or even mastery in a in a subject that we should remember and we should celebrate right so for me now like i'm always aware of those achievements so things like that like enjoying those moments where like your own competence is revealed to you right that makes sense and what's wonderful about it is that it's so everyday so accessible so what are some of the other intrinsic motivators that make us feel good naturally did you mention autonomy as one of them? Yeah, people, especially online, especially with digital products, I think we've been conditioned to just really undervalue our own autonomy and our ability to creatively solve our own problems. I think a huge problem with design and going back to design thinking and a huge, huge problem I have with that is it creates this dynamic where you need your problem solved for you through some fucking bullshit iterative process that someone else has decided. So you have like these like so-called like innovators putting themselves in situations that they don't fully understand and saying to people, this is what you need. I'm going to give this to you. You're going to try it out. Tell me what you think of it. I'm going to make it a bit better. And you're still just giving them something that they don't fucking need. <laughs> like they're just, and they're like, why, why do we have this? Like, like the IDO thing where it's like, okay, we're going to build a merry-go-round that pumps water and we're going to, we're going to save the fucking world with this. So they built it, they put it there 
And a bunch of kids were like, what the fuck is this? Because they've come there and they didn't even know what a merry-go-round round is. So like, it's like that fundamental misunderstanding, like, okay, we've solved your problem. And all you've done is like build this fucking travesty that no one knows what to do with. But to you, it's amazing because for your kind of like outlook of life and what your lived experiences, that makes sense to you. So like the, <laughs> these, uh, these ideas that as designers, we need to solve people's problems for them. Like I, I don't subscribe to that at all. I think give people the tools, yeah. give people environments with the right constraints, give them the tools, give them access to systems that they could not previously access. Like technology is great for that. Scott, tell me more about this idea of technology as providing tools to give people autonomy. Yeah, technology removes so many burdens from the path to contributing or the path to change in specific systems. And I don't think we give technology enough credit for the potential it has for that. But you don't get that by by then becoming gatekeepers of the problems that technology gets applied to, right? So for me, it's about use technology to provide tools, accept that those tools will and can be used in strange ways that you never intended. Like that, if, if I build something that's supposed to, I don't know, like keep a window open without letting flies in, for example, and then someone then uses that to make music that's fucking cool. Like that's the complete, like two random examples. Don't try and think of like a product that actually does that. But if someone I'm takes honestly your... totally thinking about that right now. <laughs> if, if someone takes your product that you think is great for a specific use, but is able to apply it to something else, that is to me is hugely successful. To other people, that's like, oh, that's not in our success metrics. Like we can't have that. We need to just just stick with the people who need to keep flies out. Whereas to me, it's like, okay, I've created like something slightly non-linear, right? Just earlier today, I was looking at some Lego kit for my son. And you know, it comes in these boxes that tell you exactly what to make with the parts. There's a picture. And I was thinking, well, that's one idea. But the fun of it is in creating your own thing, right? Yeah. A really good example uh, I can think of like off the top of my head is Minecraft. I don't play it. I'm not like massively familiar with it, but to me, it's like a very basic set of tools. Like it has its own systemic elements, right? And things react in certain ways. Things move in certain ways. And like, you're just walking around, everything looks like Lego. You have this weird fucking pickaxe, but then people are going and they're creating like just these amazing creations, like, you know, traversal systems, like modes of transport all that kind of stuff. And I think that's like a really great example of like you set constraints, right? Creative constraints and guardrails and you let people do shit with that. And Mm. fundamentally people are expressing themselves in like a million different ways, creating their own worlds. Uh, There's so much we can learn from like just the joy of discovery, right? Yes. Don't constrain and try not to control. Turning that motto around and looking at it from a user perspective, we're saying, don't be controlled by technology, be creative with it. Yeah. And I think like understanding how important autonomy is, like it's hugely intrinsically motivating to feel in control and to feel like your decisions have an impact on 
the end result of something you're doing, you know, going straight back to intentionality, you could ask, can we have intentionality without autonomy? Is it possible to apply intentionality to an environment that is designed to strip you of your autonomy? It's designed to get you to do specific things in a specific order. I don't think it is. So like the idea that autonomy is a proven intrinsic motivator, that's probably like the single biggest like shift in my mindset towards design, but also in how I kind of like approach the world. It's like, if I'm trying to use a product or trying to even just make changes to like my day-to-day life, like the, one of the first questions I'm going to ask is, does this give me autonomy? Am I fundamentally in control of what I do with this tool? Is there enough flexibility in the system to let me tweak it to my own needs? What you're saying reminds me of that idea that you don't want your tech to know you better than you know yourself. You want to understand your own motivations and then make sure you're actually getting what you want out of the experience, out of the interaction. Yeah. Every time you log on or pick up a phone or smartwatch, like, what do I want? Is it a sense of mastery, competence, autonomy, kindness, connection? What are my intrinsic motivations here? But what's confusing is clearly the tech that we love and that we keep going back to. You know, these things must be giving us what we desire, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't keep going back. So you can say, okay, I understand that people want social belonging social belonging and the comfort and the the qualities that come with that is a huge 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 intrinsic motivator it's one of the most powerful um powerful motivators we have um you know we're constantly searching for belonging we're constantly searching for social validation and you can say okay like i understand that now what i'm going to do is i'm going to create a system create a product that gives people that. And that's my goal. That's my goal. Create a product that gives people that. And what you get from that, if you do that successfully, if your goal is to just give people that, that's all you want to do. Okay, right, cool. Let's go. What you end up with is a bunch of people who who use that product and then don't come back to it because it's done its job. Oh, how interesting. And what you get when... If you say, okay, I understand that people need social belonging, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give them just enough of it so they know they can get it from my product without ever satiating them completely and and fulfilling what they actually want from the product. What you get there is an insidious product that creates a vicious cycle. If you are looking for social belonging and you have a low impact, low investment way of getting a tiny, tiny semblance of that. So getting likes on Instagram, getting likes on Twitter, stuff like that. And you find yourself tied to that. I think that's when you should be having deeper discussions with yourself about, am I actually getting what I need from this? Or am I getting trapped in never getting enough? Just getting just enough to let me know that this feels good. I'm going to try and do it again. Mm. This is a big difference between the the type of validation we're searching for and the validation we get. And we're never going to get the validation we're searching for 
anywhere in life because it's such a unique experience, right? And you can feel socially validated through like saying hello to someone on the street. You, d- you didn't expect that the, when you woke up in the morning, but sometimes that can feel nice. Like I feel <laughs> socially validated when I'm taking my dog for a walk and someone's like, oh, isn't she good? I'm like, oh yeah, I helped, helped her, you know, trained her and everything. That's great. Like the whole point of like that kind of stuff is it's, it's surprising. Right. And if part of the reason it feels good is because it, it, it surprises us. So if you're trapped in a cycle of knowing that, okay, I'm going to put this thing on a screen and someone is going to interact with it in a very specific way. And then I'm going to get told that they've specifically interacted with that. And that's going to somehow make me feel good. Like, you know, that's that to me, that's not the social belonging we all signed up for. Right. And it's, it's the same with all types of of motivation like that, where you give people like the absolute bare minimum of what they're searching for and just bombard them with it to the point where they think it's enough. And I think that's a huge problem that we face is that we are being put on a, a, a snack diet of our motivators when what we really need is to, to go out and experience them in their fullest. And I, I, I don't think necessarily, I don't think technology stops us from doing that. Yeah. Okay, the last thing I want to ask you, I've been asking every guest on this podcast, is to choose a card from, we've got this deck, the Digital Habit Labs cards. Each one represents an experiment that you can try. So the question is, which one are you drawn to that you would actually like to experiment with? Okay, right. The one thing that I'm going to say is avoid early morning tech use. So the very first one that I looked at, um, this is something that worked amazingly well for me and I just stopped doing. And now every morning I get up and I just somehow instantly check like Twitter, then Instagram, then Slack, then back to Twitter like before I've even got out of bed and it's such a bullshit habit. Uh, and I think one piece of, of wisdom that I've picked up around stuff like this is when you use something like a social media product, think about everything you do on that as practice. And what practice does is it makes it easier to do that thing again and again and again the more practiced you are at something the more often you will do it so the example i was always told was someone who was reading the news so reading the paper every morning and the paper was full of stuff that were making them angry and making them upset and someone said to them every morning you practice being angry and upset so how good are you at being angry and upset and I think that's uh, anything that's part of a routine that we're doing daily or multiple times a day. What are we practicing when we do that? Like if I'm on Twitter, am I practicing being outraged? Does that make me very, very good at being outraged? Probably yes. <laughs> um, mm. So for me, that's that's a big thing because every time I think about avoiding routines like that, I'm always thinking about that little piece of advice as what are you practicing? What are you getting good at without realizing? That's such a good question to ask ourselves. Yeah. Right. Okay. 
that's the last thing. So thank you again, Scott, and um, have a good rest of the day. We'll be in touch. Yeah, no worries. Cheers for everything. Have a great day. After we spoke, I was feeling really inspired to learn more about motivation theory and to understand what my deepest intrinsic motivators really are. So I got in touch with Scott again and asked him for some further reading, which we've made into a reading list. You'll find it in the show notes for the episode at our website, mindovertech.com. A big thank you to Scott for sharing so many insights with us. He's just excellent. And thank you for listening. One request is if you're enjoying these conversations, do consider leaving us a review on your podcast app. It really helps people to find us. Finally, we have a great newsletter which you might find useful. So feel free to sign up. It's full of ideas and inspiration and practical tips too for experimenting with your digital habits. I hope you can join us again next time. Bye for now.